Good morning. We are talking about the, the topic of courage and how Jesus takes us from fear into a life of more courage. And this is what we saw happen with the Apostle Peter. In Scripture, we hear about his story and how he failed Jesus on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Fear gripped his heart so deeply that he fell apart. He ran away. He lied. And when he was confronted by people who were after him, he denied Jesus three times. Peter left that night feeling broken, dejected, and far from God. But there's hope. That wasn't the end of the story. It was always God's plan that through Jesus and his death on the cross to take care of sin and death. That's true for you and for me. And it was also true for Peter. And so after Jesus came back from the grave, he had a conversation with Peter and confronted him. And even though it was painful for Peter to relive the moments of that night, it became clear to him that through that interchange that God's love ran deeper than his failure. It ran deeper than his sin. And that night changed and transformed him forever. Peter in the book of Acts, became one of the most bold disciples who followed after Jesus. And one of the lessons that we covered last weekend was that great courage comes from great love. Great courage comes from great love. Now this week, as we're continuing our series, we're going to be talking about something very practical in the development of courage. We're going to be talking about the place of prayer and how prayer leads us to greater courage. And to do this, we're going to be looking more closely at Psalm chapter 23. Psalm 23 is one of those passages that has a real special place in my heart. Uh, years ago, when I was struggling with grief and loss, uh, when my father passed away, Psalm 23 kept me tethered to the way of God that and swimming three times a week. Uh, I'll talk through the details of that when we get into the particulars of our message today. But Psalm 23 is a special psalm, and I hope in many ways that as it has served to grow courage in my heart, that today as we get into the uh, specifics uh, and the verses of this psalm, that they will also help lead you into a greater connection with God and into a deeper life of courage. So we're going to do three things. We'll talk through the specifics of the psalm. We'll go through the verses one by one. Uh, and then we'll uh, have some um, commentary along the way as I talk about fear and courage and how prayer uh, engenders courage. I've also asked a friend to share a few words about what prayer and courage has um, meant to her in her life. Uh, many of you know her. Her name's Amy Lerng. Uh, she was on staff with us at Access. And uh, to me, uh, she's one of the, uh, the most faithful prayer companions that a person can have. And so uh, we're going to hear from her and some of her testimony around prayer and courage. And finally, today, we're going to be celebrating with the elements of communion. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so I trust that you're going to be able to have uh, elements that uh, remind us of the cup and the bread 
that symbolize our covenant relationship with God. I've got a couple of things right in front of me, and I know we can't all have uh, the you know the proper elements of grape juice and and bread in front of us because of the pandemic. So uh, we'll have some of our own equivalents here. I've got my piece of bread, and I've got some uh, I've got some mango tea with me today. So we'll we'll do that in just a few minutes. But let's get into the particulars of the psalm. And let's get into how courage and prayer go hand in hand. Let's read from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. In this first movement of the psalm, we acknowledge who God is. He is our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, the psalms are filled with different images for how we can relate to God. Uh, they talk about how God is our rock, our fortress, our stronghold. Uh, these different words uh, are gifts to us for us to know God in these specific ways. But Psalm 23 is very specific in helping us understand that God is our shepherd. And I think that's why Psalm 23 has had such a special place in people's faith journeys over the years. It's because it's such a highly personal word of connection. In ancient times, shepherds were deeply committed to their sheep. And a good shepherd for a good shepherd, it was much more than a business transaction to care for sheep. It was a matter of life and death. A shepherd watched over his flock and would at times put his life on the line to protect his sheep. Now, many of us today have this type of relationship with our pets, maybe with our dogs or with our cats. Um, I don't know how many of you are, are dog owners or cat owners out there. You might want to sound off in the chat, or maybe some of you are both. You own a dog and a cat. But this kind of love relationship that many of us have with our pets is kind of similar to how a shepherd would care for sheep. A shepherd would lead sheep to green pastures, somewhere where sheep felt safe, could feed, could feel cared for, a good shepherd would lead sheep to quiet waters, not to rushing waters because sheep couldn't drink from water that ran by too fast. And a shepherd wouldn't certainly would not lead his sheep to dirty water or still water that would cause the whole flock to be sick. A shepherd knew the right circumstance and led his sheep to quiet waters where they could be refreshed. And this is the kind of imagery that we're given here in Psalm 23. Now, there's a verse here in particular that is very that's that has stood out to me over the years, and it's this: He restores my soul; He refreshes my soul. God is the one who refreshes my soul, and God is the one who restores my soul. Either translation here can work, and there are adequate ways to understand the Hebrew language. The idea is this, that as our good shepherd, God knows what our souls need. Now, as I mentioned earlier, 
as I struggled through grief and uh, loss, Psalm 23 became a very special place for me to meet with God and to learn how to pray. And one of the ways I engaged the psalm was I would go to the gym three times a week. I would hop into the water, into the pool, and I would start swimming. And my mind and my heart would go to Psalm 23. And more specifically, it would run straight to these verses. He restores my soul. And I would pray that on and on, over and over. And again, repeating that in my heart and in my mind in order to be able to, to find a place of goodness, to be able to deal with some of the things that I was wrestling with in my heart. And as I repeated these verses, I could also replay uh, memories. Um, I could replay difficult things that were going on in my heart and my mind. And in this way, God was able to bring restoration to my own soul and to my heart. There's an assumption that I think that many of us live with today, which is why these verses are so important. And the assumption is that God is really only happy with us when we are doing well, when we have overcome, when we've accomplished great things, and when we can prove our worthiness. And these verses help us to see that that is not true at all. God actually loves to come and restore ourselves when we are broken, when we are feeling that pain, when we know that deep inside we have been hurt in some deep ways. That's what happened in Peter's life. That's what happened in David's life as he wrote this psalm. And that's what can happen in your life and mine. And as we go through Psalm 23 today, there may be some of you here who are listening in, and this is the place where your soul has been. You are in need of some restoration. You are in need of some refreshing for your own heart. And maybe over the last several months, as you have dealt with a great amount of pain or fear and anxiety because of the pandemic, these are some verses that you may be able to use as a breath prayer to help restore your own soul. He restores my soul. God, please restore my soul. He refreshes my soul. God, please refresh my soul. And this leads us to our first lesson today on prayer and courage. Courage grows as we affirm who God is in our lives. Courage grows as we affirm who God is in our lives. And one of the ways I have done this over the years, and I can encourage you to do, is in prayer, as you begin praying to God, is simply to acknowledge and affirm these words that God has given us by which we can address Him. God, I come to you in prayer today knowing that you are my shepherd. God, I come to you in prayer today knowing that you are my Lord, that you are my healer, that you are my Father in heaven, that you are my provider, you are my Savior, my rock. All of these different titles and these words help us to understand who God is in our lives. These are just some of the common ones. There are many more in Scripture. And as we grow deeper in Scripture, 
we grow more dimensions. There is a greater sense of versatility, a greater um, dimensionality that we grow with God because we learn that God wants to engage our souls in different ways. And I think one of the reasons why some of us get stuck in the spiritual life is because we only know God in one way. We may only know him as a provider, but we haven't known him as a teacher, as a Lord, or we may only know God as a healer, but not one who can bring us uh, into the future and help us dream about better things to come. He isn't our hope. So some of these things are interplaying together. So let's keep moving on to the next part of the psalm. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, or more literally translated, through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So these verses may strike you as a bit strange considering what we just studied in the first part of the psalm because God is our shepherd and he's protecting us and watching over us. So why are we all of a sudden talking about a valley or the shadow of death? And how are we now talking about evil? How does a good God lead us to face evil or places where we might encounter evil? And this gets into some deeper theological wrestling. This is where the psalm takes us to some deeper places. We can for sure talk much more about these issues. Um, there's much more to be said. But two very important things for us to know when we talk about facing off with evil in the valley of the shadow of death. And the first is this, that God has chosen you and me to be a light in dark places. God has chosen his light to shine through you and me. When we think about some of the great heroes of the faith, especially in the last hundred years or so, people like Mother Teresa or people like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., these are men and women who have had the light of God shining so brightly in them that when they stood in darkness, and when they confronted the darkness of the world, they were not overcome by it. In fact, more and more people were able to see the light of God through their lives. Now, by setting their examples, um, I realize that not all of us will have the kind of public life that they had. In fact, very few of us ever will. But the point of citing their examples is this. God has a deeper life in store for you and me, a life greater than we dare dream, a life that is so full of his light that even the darkness around us will not snuff it out. This is our place in God. Now, the second thing to know uh, about facing off with evil in dealing with these fears is this that God shows up for us in a unique way. God is our protector and the one who guides us. Now, as we get into the specifics of Psalm 23 here, this is where it makes sense. It's, uh, David writes about this and he says that God's rod and his staff, they comfort him. Now, 
I gotta admit, I didn't grow up on a farm. Uh, I didn't grow, grow up around a lot of uh, shepherding imagery myself. And so when I think of a rod and a staff, um, quite frankly, they don't give me a lot of comfort. And I don't know if they do for you. But if we take a closer look at what these meant historically, especially um, in the ancient culture as shepherds would watch over their sheep with a rod and a staff, there's a lot of insight here. A rod was a defensive tool. It was a weapon that could defend sheep against, say, a coyote or a wolf or something that could attack them, a predator. And so a shepherd would take his rod and would fend off any kind of attacking evil. And a staff was uh, something that was both used to walk, but also used to guide the sheep. So if they were headed in the wrong way, um, a shepherd might take his staff, which had sort of a hook around the end, and gently bring them in the right direction. That way, heading them off from danger or walking toward a cliff or maybe raging waters, whatever it might be, a shepherd had his sheep's best interest in mind. Now, today, we don't have a rod and a staff literally in our relationship with God, but God has given us something equivalent. God has given his followers something to deal with the evil in this world and something by which we can walk in confidence. What exactly is that? It is his word. It is his promise to you and to me. And it's promised to show up in a certain way that gives us the confidence to deal with the evil that is in this world. And this is where we reach point number two. Our second lesson in learning about how prayer develops courage in our life is knowing this. Courage grows as we learn to claim God's promises in our life. The Apostle Peter, later on when he writes uh, in the New Testament in 2 Peter, phrases it this way. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in this world, in the world caused by evil desires. These are some really deep verses. There's a lot I can go into. Later on this year, uh, we're planning to do a series around these verses called People of Promise. And we're going to be diving into what it means to live by the promises of God. But I want to just say here and today that one of the great ways in which we can grow in our courage is through prayer and specifically in claiming the promises of God. That God promises not to leave us or abandon us. That pr God promises to forgive us when we confess our sins. That God promises to protect us and to be our Savior. All of these things add to our life of courage. Now let's move on to the final verses in the psalm. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. 
Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In this last section of the psalm, we are given some different imagery. We're moving from the shepherding imagery to imagery where God is inviting you and I to this table that we are his guests and God has invited us to share in this victory table where the enemies, our enemies, have acknowledged their defeat and their surrender and where the victory of God is celebrated. That's what this is pointing to. Derek Kidner is an Old Testament scholar, and he has this to say about this psalm. In the Old Testament world, to eat and to drink at someone's table created a bond of mutual loyalty and could be the culminating token of a covenant. So to be God's guest is to be more than acquaintance invited for a day. It is to live with him. There is a suggestion of pilgrimage in the picture of a progress that ends at the house of the Lord, but it is also a journey home. If you didn't catch all of that, what Kidner is saying is this. In this psalm, we are given the imagery of a new home that we are invited to share in because God, who is the host, has welcomed us in. He lavishly bestows his grace upon us and we are welcomed in. Now, here is some of that tension that we are living with with this psalm. Because here and now, in the present, these things are not true. Not yet, at least. In this world, we are still dealing with trouble. We are dealing with evil. We are dealing with real fears. And how do we reconcile that with God? In this psalm, we are given a picture of the future, a hope that this world is not our final destination. This world and in its current state, this is not the way things are supposed to be. In the future, we have a home with God. And this leads us to our third lesson about how courage grows from prayer. Courage grows as we interrupt our fears with God's hope. Courage grows as we interrupt our fears with God's hope. Now, many of us have been, you know, learning this new rhythm because our other work schedules, school and jobs and all that has been interrupted because we've had to stay at home. The pandemic has caused mass chaos. And um, I've shared before that a lot of my morning routine is spent reading the news and what's going on. What are the latest updates on COVID-19? And these are very difficult things for us to be living through. And here is the process. As we're hearing more and more updates about what bad news is coming down the pipe, it is easy for us to begin imagining that the bad news and the bad reports that are happening to other people will soon happen to you, will soon happen to me, it will happen to our loved ones, and this is catastrophe that's just waiting to unfold. Now, we don't know all that's going to take place. 
We don't know all the particulars about the future. But it is the legacy of God's people that in the face of great fear and in the face of great trouble, we have always been a people of hope. And learning to live into that hope has been the way that we have let the light of God shine in our lives. And this is one of the ways in which we can learn to pray through our fears. Instead of reading another article about why you should be afraid or listening to another update that might make you frustrated, it is time to get on our knees to pray and let the promises of God interrupt that fear cycle that is beginning to take place in our hearts, in our, in our minds. It is letting the light of God interrupt our fears. It is letting that promise that we belong to God. We are part of his kingdom. We are the children of God. We are included in God's plan. That God's goodness, God's mercy, God's kindness, all of these promises are ours in Christ Jesus. And we do not have to live in fear. Now, these are our lessons for courage and how courage can grow in prayer. And to kind of bring it home today, I've asked a good friend who has been on staff with us for many years. Amy Lurung um, is a treasured friend. And on many normal Sundays, she would be the person standing up on Sundays. And as we end our worship gathering uh, and we invite people to come up for prayer, she would be one of the folks that would be standing there uh, being a prayer companion. Um, we obviously can't do that these days because of our social distancing, but this week I emailed Amy uh, to ask her for her thoughts about how prayer and courage have gone and worked together in her life. And uh, by email, these are some of her thoughts. Listen carefully as she names some of her fears and how she finds courage in prayer. I believe Prayer is such a valuable yet powerful part of our life with God. Maybe this is why it can feel uncomfortable, awkward, or scary sometimes to pray. The vulnerable side of prayer reminds me of this. One of my greatest fears as a parent is that my kids would grow up not feeling safe enough to share with me their truest thoughts and feelings, especially when they fail or when they are hurt, in danger, or going through some kind of tough situation. I fear this because it would mean a loss of trust, connection, intimacy, and belonging. Core elements that would enable a parent to fully love a child and a child to fully receive and grow from that love. So much of my journey as a parent has been about reminding them that it's safe enough for them to be vulnerable with me. That they can tell me anything and I would be there to help them through it. I imagine that our Heavenly Father desires the same for us too. Whenever I go to God with something challenging or scary, I often feel His assurance and I imagine Him saying what I say to my kids when they are scared and to tell me something. It's okay. 
Whatever you're thinking and feeling is okay. I love you. I will listen and I will help you through this. Here's the powerful side of prayer and what I've learned to be true. Prayer is sacred and safe space that he holds for each one of us. It is constant and always accessible anywhere at any time. It comes from his amazing love for us and desire to connect with us, his beloved. Love dwells in prayer. So does the Holy Spirit. And both have the power to fill us with courage to empower us to face our biggest fears. For years, I carried wounds from my childhood that kept me from living in joy. And it was through God's power and prayer that enabled me to fully renounce and give over to Jesus all the pain the little girl in me had endured. In prayer, I received power to heal from my past and the courage to move forward. Amy, thanks so much for your words. I'm deeply encouraged by what you wrote and gives me a lot to think about, especially ways that I can continue to grow deeper in my connection with God and also deeper in the life of courage that he desires for me. So thank you so much. If any of you want to connect with Amy through prayer, um, I encourage you, uh, we'll leave her email on a slide and you can email and uh, talk with her. And again, she's a great prayer companion and a coach to have in this season. As we move into our time of communion and as we wrap up our gathering today, I'd like to do a couple of things. First, I'm going to have a, a time of quiet, like one minute of silence to prayer. And there are two types of people I want to address with this one minute of silence. First of all, there may be some of you and you're new to the message of Jesus, or maybe you've never trusted your life to Jesus and you have yet to develop a personal relationship with God. Through communion, I invite you to start this relationship. And today, I encourage you to take your first steps in this journey of faith with God. I'll have a prayer posted on a slide. All you have to do is follow simply, pray this prayer, and at the end of it, commit this in faith to God, and email us at staff at accesslive.org. We'd love to follow up with you and talk more about how to grow a relationship with God. To others of you who maybe have a deeper relationship with God, you've walked with God for some time, but in all honesty, as you have lived through this pandemic and you have wrestled with fear, fear has begun to grip your heart in a way that has felt binding and oppressive. Maybe some of you have experienced anxiety in an all-new way. And I, I want you to be able to take at least this first 60 seconds to begin offering up a prayer to God and asking God to restore your soul. You don't have to pray a lot of words. This is just a first step to experiencing more peace with God. So we're going to cut over to a slide. It's going to have some words. Uh, and some music in the background, and I'm going to offer this time to you. And as we get back together, we're going to be able to enter into our time of communion together to remember our covenant relationship with God.
Let's read this together from 1 Corinthians. For I receive from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I invite you now to take a piece of the bread and receive this as the body of Christ, which is for you. And in the same way, take the cup and remember this cup is the new covenant in the blood of Christ. Amen. I invite you to pray with me as we conclude this time of communion together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the bread and for the cup, which remind us of the sacrifice of Jesus, who shed his blood, who, who brought this new life reality into our lives. We go from this place as people who are loved, deeply loved, and we thank you, Lord God, that this gives us courage to move on. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. There are two things I'd like to point your attention to as we wrap up for the uh, gathering today. The first is some discussion questions. We'll have those posted, so stay tuned for that. You can see them after we um, close off our Sunday gathering. Make sure to, to take those down, jot down some of those questions. You can go over them with your small group, or you can talk about them with your family or your household. They're a great way to go a little bit deeper after the message today to talk about how prayer and courage work together. And the last thing I want to point us to is our sending prayer. As we go from this place, Let's pray our sending prayer together. Loving God, through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us toward joy and generosity. In Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus. Amen. See you next time.